0: Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning now at verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Ananoth, in the land of Benjamin. Well, it begins very simply and very straightforwardly, doesn't it? Verse 1 tells us that these are the words of Jeremiah. And with these brief words, we begin this incredible book that covers the words that God spoke in and through the prophet Jeremiah. His 40-year ministry was a tremendous display of faithfulness and courage in the face of incredible opposition that he had to face as a prophet of God. And we notice as well that he tells us where he's from. He was from the village of Anathoth. Now, since Jeremiah was from a priestly family, it made sense for him to be from this village, which was just a few miles away from Jerusalem. Matter of fact, from the way that the hills are situated, there are places in the village of Ananoth where you can see the walls of Jerusalem. Jeremiah didn't live in Jerusalem, but he didn't live far from there. Actually, just a day's walk away or less. Now, verse two, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the year, end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Now notice this. Verse 2 begins, To whom the word of the Lord came. Notice the contrast. Look how verse 1 begins. The words of Jeremiah. Then look at verse 2. To whom the word of the Lord came. So what are we dealing with? Are we dealing with the words of Jeremiah the prophet? Or are we dealing with the words of the Lord God? And the answer is yes. It's both, isn't it? And this is how God worked through his divine messengers that brought forth the word of God to us. Where it was God speaking through those men in an infallible way to give us his true and perfect word, at least in the original autographs. Nevertheless, The personality of each one of these men come through in a very powerful way. So when Jeremiah writes, there's something about Jeremiah in the writing. When the Apostle Paul writes, there's something about the Apostle Paul. Each one of these inspired authors, God used a combination of his Holy Spirit's guidance and their human personality to bring forth his eternal word. And so notice, again, starting there in verse two, it says that it began in the days of Josiah. And that tells us something else, because actually King Josiah was one of the better kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. He was zealous for reform. And according to Second Chronicles, chapter 34, it was in the eighth year of Josiah's reign That he sought the Lord and that he began a aggressive campaign to purify Israel of its idolatry and its sin. It's really sort of fascinating. We have these 40 years before Israel goes into captivity. And some 40 years before that time, God raised up a very godly king and a very godly prophet to work right beside him. You could say that God called forth these two giants, Josiah and Jeremiah, to serve him and to serve his people in that needful generation. And each one of them supported the other. But what's interesting is they didn't leave behind an enduring legacy of a changed Judah. In other words, you could say this. If Josiah and Jeremiah were really so effective in bringing God's word and a sense of revival to ancient Judah, then why did they get conquered by the Babylonians some 40 years later? Well, I'll tell you why. Because first of all, many of the things in the culture that had been set in motion up to that time were unchanged in the hearts of the people. But let me tell you, one of the great things that God did through Josiah and Jeremiah was he gave the people No excuse. I think about that. I think about that with a nation such as our own, the United States of America. But that's not unique. You could apply any nation, any nation that in some way or another seems to be moving farther and farther away from God, becoming more and more secular. Now, look, I don't want to be entirely dark in our understanding of what God is doing in America and in the spiritual condition of America. Because in many countries around the world, sometimes God is doing a marvelous work, but you just can't perceive it yet. And wouldn't it be wonderful if really God is preparing the groundswell right now for a mighty revival that's going to sweep our nation? Wouldn't you be excited about that? I sure would. And if that's what God is doing right now, I thank him for it. But I'll be honest with you, to my eye, and it's an imperfect eye, I admit, but I'll tell you nevertheless, it's my eye. To my eye, it doesn't look like it. To my eye, the culture continues to rush towards a deserved judgment. Well, you might say, David, if you knew that there would be no revival... If you knew that there would be no recovery, that, that sort of this airplane that's on a downward spiral, or spiral heading down to a crash, that it's not going to pull out and gain altitude again. If you knew that's going to do that, what, why would you still do the work that you do? And I'll tell you why. Because there's even value in that and that God can use a faithful man or a faithful woman to take away any excuse from the people for whom judgment is going to come upon. Friends, isn't that a heavy idea that sometimes the value of a person's ministry is not found in the response that comes from people, but in the excuses that it takes away from people in a time of judgment. And I'm here to tell you that was largely the result of Jeremiah's ministry. His ministry was not successful because people had a radical turning to the Lord. We would have wished so. But his ministry was successful because it stripped away any excuse that people had for their failure to repent and turn to God. Well, going on now, notice the kings that are mentioned there in verses 2 and 3. He mentions Josiah and Jehoiakim and Zedekiah. Now, I want you to notice something that if you follow the history of Judah, he actually left two kings out. He left out Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim. Why would he leave those two kings out? I'll tell you why. Because they only reigned for a matter of months. They were almost aberrations. They didn't even live long enough to secure the throne. And so he mentions the three kings who reigned in any appreciable time. Josiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. Until what? Look at verse 3. Until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Now, This is a book that will take us all the way to the captivity of Judah, conquered by the Babylonians. But let's look at this, verse 4, where it begins, the call that God gave to Jeremiah. So I just kind of want you to, well, brace for impact. Buckle your seatbelts. Because you know what there's going to be a lot of in the book of Jeremiah? A lot of judgment. A lot of woe. Now, we're also going to see that God cannot keep himself... From giving hope. And giving reason for faith. Even in the midst of the pronouncements of judgment. But it's going to get ugly. Tonight's pretty cool. Tonight we're talking about the call of a prophet in Jeremiah 1. You're going to get inspired tonight. Next week. You're going to be flat out depressed if I preach the scriptures faithfully. (laughs) You're going to be going. Oh man. Was that bad. But it is bad. And this is what we got to get honest about. And the book of Jeremiah is going to help us to do it. Anyway, verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now notice this. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Now, it came to him as a young man. He had a personal encounter with the Lord. Apparently, he was raised in a godly home. Apparently, the priestly things were around him. Yet, nevertheless, he had to have his own personal encounter with the Lord. The word of the Lord had to come to him. Now, what's interesting is if you go through the prophecies of Jeremiah... And if you read them carefully, you will find echoes, you will find phrases that are used in the prior prophets that came before his time, such as Hosea. That's just one example. What it shows us is that Jeremiah was a man who was familiar with the word of God. The word of the Lord came to him because his heart and his life was filled with the word of God. And that's why the word came to him. But it says here in verse 5, God spoke to him saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And he said, I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Now, God spoke to Jeremiah as a young man, but he wanted him to know that his call on his life went back even further than his youth. Jeremiah, you existed in my heart and in my mind even before you ever existed on this earth. Now, by the way, if God holds a life precious before it exists in the womb, how much more should we think that God regards a life precious while it is in the womb? But notice this. Jeremiah, the point that God was making to him was simply this. Before all of that, I knew you. Before all of that, I called you. God wanted Jeremiah to know that you are in my plan, and I have a plan for you ever before you existed in your mother's womb. Why was it important? So that he could walk in God's preordained plan for his life. Now, and once you think about it, it's it's interesting when you read ancient Jewish legends. Ancient Jewish legends, and friends, they're nothing more than really rabbinical legends. But ancient Jewish legends tell us that Jeremiah was so called of the Lord that he was born circumcised. That's a trick, isn't it? They also say that he came out of his womb prophesying. And as the legend goes, in his out of the womb prophecy, he comes out of the womb prophesying. He complained of the faithlessness of his mother. Now, that's quite a thing for a newborn baby to do, isn't it? So there, when he complains about the faithfulness of his mother, his mother says something to the effect of, Son, how could you say such a thing about him? He says, Oh no, mother, you don't understand. I'm speaking symbolically of Jerusalem as the mother of the people of God. All right, it's a rabbinical legend. This is no real truth But this is what I want you to understand. When God told Jeremiah, when he spoke those words to you, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. The information wasn't given just to interest Jeremiah. It wasn't given to satisfy his curiosity. It wasn't given to entertain him. It was given so that he would know God's will and be encouraged with that and therefore align his life the best he could with God's revealed will. Jeremiah had to hear this call and God gave him the call. You know, there's many people who never hear the call of God on their life because they refuse to listen. The the proper attitude of any man or any woman before God is simply to say this, to check in with God from time to time about what his call is on your life. Do do you have a sense that you know what God has called you to be and to do for him in this world? Well, if you think you know, great, praise the Lord. I'm not going to try to dissuade you from that. But isn't it good just to check in with God from time to time? Say, God, what is it that you have for me? First one has to hear the call, but then you have to respond to the call. And that's what Jeremiah had to do. Many people hear God's call, but they don't respond to it as they should. Through the years, many times I have heard somebody say something like this. Once I thought I was called to be a missionary... You know, long time ago, I thought I was called to be a pastor. Now, friends, I think for some of those people, it's definitely true that maybe they thought they were called to be a missionary or a pastor or some kind of, you know, service in that way unto God. And, and they were an heir about it. Isn't that entirely possible that somebody could think, well, God wants me to be a pastor. And then later on in their life, they find out not or at least not now. God wants me to be a missionary, but later on they find, well, no, not, or not now. That's entirely true, but but, aren't there probably many people who did hear God correctly, but they did not respond in faith and in obedience? Let me give you a challenging thought. It's been said that in every generation, God calls Enough workers to minister to his people and reach the world. The question is how many of those respond to that call. Jeremiah had to respond to it. Now, let me just clear up two common misconceptions about the calling of God on our life. First of all, some people confuse calling with how they make their money. If God has called you to serve his people in some way, that also might be the way that you earn a living, or it might not. It shouldn't matter to you. Calling and vocation can be two different things. Listen, I know that when I was a young man, uh, let's see, I would have been probably about 17 when I really understood my calling before the Lord. I knew that I was called to teach and to serve God's people, that that's what God had called me to do. I had no clue whatsoever that that would be how I earned my living. I thought I'd be working at a grocery store. And I thought, well, great. I'll work in a grocery store, and God, as you give me opportunities, I'll feed your people, I'll teach them, I'll lead them. We need to separate calling may not necessarily be the same as vocation, but secondly, some people think There's something more holy in being called to be a pastor or a missionary or whatever. Friends, that isn't true at all. That the faithful carpenter, that the faithful teacher, that the faithful auto mechanic, and the faithful pastor will all be rewarded equally according to their faithfulness. Unless, unless God has called the pastor really to be a carpenter or God has called the carpenter really to be a missionary, then you're really not being faithful to your calling, are you? But whatever vocation God has called you to do or to have, then fulfill it as the calling of God. This is what God was telling Jeremiah, that he was to be, look at it there in verse 5, a prophet to the nations. Now, his focus through most of the book is the southern kingdom of Judah but he speaks a great deal to the nations as well. Verse six. Then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a youth. (laughs) Stop right there. I'm calling you, Jeremiah. Oh, Lord God. It's really actually a very vivid phrase in the ancient Hebrew. It's like, oh, no way, Lord. No, not at all. I can't do it. Behold, verse six. I cannot speak for I am a youth. Now we don't know exactly how old Jeremiah was. The commentators I've read estimate anywhere from 16 years of age to 20 years of age. But in some way or another, Jeremiah would be considered a young man. And apparently he felt that his youth prevented him from being a good or an authoritative messenger of God's word. And what did God say in response to him? Jeremiah says, no, no, no! I can't do it. I'm too young. Verse seven. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth. For you shall go to all whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations to put down, excuse me, and over kingdoms, to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Friends, isn't that heavy? What did Jeremiah say when God called him? Oh Lord, I can't do it. I'm too young. I'm but a youth. And what did God say? Don't you say that to me. Look at verse 7. Do not say I am a youth. Now, friends, this is what I don't understand. Even though Jeremiah's protest was true, was he really a youth? Yes, he was a youth. It was irrelevant. Yes, you're a youth. I don't care, God says. God didn't want to hear it, and he didn't want Jeremiah to say it. God insists on his right to call young people and to use him if he so chooses. So, friends, don't say, I'm a youth. Do not say, I am a youth, and excuse yourself from the calling of God, because God used David even as a young boy. Remember that? He killed a lion and a bear and then Goliath on top of that. Do not say I am a youth because God filled John the Baptist with the Holy Spirit when he was still in his mother's womb. That's a youth, don't you think? Do not say I am a youth. Because God used Timothy even as a young man. Even though the Apostle Paul told him, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in faith, in spirit, in purity. Do you see that? Friends, do you understand that young people can be an example to the body of Christ of what? In word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Don't you say, I am a youth. Think of a man like Hudson Taylor. Do you know the name Hudson Taylor? Hudson Taylor was one of the greatest missionaries this earth has ever seen. And he was a man who at 17 years of age received a call to go to China. He dared to seek God and he totally surrendered himself to God's will. And almost immediately he received the impression that he was to go to China and that God wanted him to live on the mission field. Uh, purely by faith not by the normal channels of support so what did he do he set himself right then immediately in london to start living by faith right where he was by the time he was 22 he was in shanghai and began a glorious career serving god in china friends god can use young people so don't excuse yourselves I know that the times I have to speak to young people, one of the messages I like to bring to them again and again and again is this. Give God the young years of your life and you'll never regret it. I know that that is the testimony of the life of both myself and my wife, Ingalil. Sometimes we sit back and look, you get a little older and you get kind of nostalgic and such over the early years and all that. But we look back and we say, And we say it with gratitude to God. We gave God the young years of our life and we don't regret it for a moment. What I like to speak out against with all the strength I have whenever I can speak to young people is that attitude that says, well, yeah, man, I'll do my thing for 10 years. And then when I'm old, like 30 and past the time of having fun, (laughs) then I'll get serious about serving the Lord. Young person, that is a grave mistake. You will regret that in your life. You will regret not giving the young years of your life to serving the Lord. So don't make that mistake. Do it now. Starting now. Dedicate yourself in a special way to serve the Lord. And don't you dare give God that excuse. I am but a youth. What will God say to you? Don't tell me that. Get serious about serving me. Matter of fact, look at what he says there in verse 7. For you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. God spoke with both encouragement and persuasion to Jeremiah. Jeremiah protested that he couldn't go because of his youth, but what did God say? You shall go. You're going. That's all there is to it. There's nothing else to say about this. Now and then he said, verse 8, Do not be afraid of their faces, For I am with you to deliver you. Jeremiah had two reasons to be afraid. First of all, he was young. Second of all, think about it. God gave this young man a message that was very difficult to hear. You know, if you're a young man, it's pretty cool if God gives you a message. You can realize your God-given potential. That's a pretty cool message for a young man to preach, isn't it? Or, you know, this positive, great, inspiring, wonderful, good news. But if you're a young man and God gives you the message of judgment to speak to his people, that's tough. But what did God tell Jeremiah to do? Look at it there in verse 8. Do not be afraid of their faces for I am with you. The fact of my presence with you is greater than any of the things that would push you away from it. Friends, I want to be real about it, and I would say this to young people as well. I would say I want to be honest. There is a price to be paid for answering God's call. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You will pay a price in your life for answering God's call. I'll assure you, it's totally worth it. But I'm not going to say you can have it all. You can't have it all. If you want to answer God's call in your life, There's going to be things that you say no to and ways that you have to die to self that are going to put you through the ringer. but it'll be worth it. You see, if we will answer the call only if it's easy or only if it's comfortable, then we're not worthy followers of Jesus Christ at all. Friends, do you think it's too difficult? Let me encourage you. Jesus Christ will be with you to strengthen you along the way. It won't be too difficult. I've heard it. I I can't bear to disappoint my family. If you're called, you can bear it. I I can't give up all that I've worked for. If you're called, you can do it. I I can't live in a new place. If you're called, you can do it. I I can't learn a new language. If you're called, you can do it. I, I can't look like a fool in front of my friends or in front of other people. If you're called, you can do it. God strengthening you can do it. Verse nine. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. Isn't that beautiful? And what did he say to him verse ten? See, I have this day set you over nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and throw down, to build and to plant. Do do you see that thing that he told him to do in verse ten? You're going to do six things. What are the six things? Root out and pull down. Destroy and throw down. And then to build and to plant. Your ministry is going to be four parts of judgment for every two parts of grace. Yeah, thanks Lord. What a commission that is. But notice verse 10. He says, see, I have set you this day. Friends, Jeremiah was definitely called, but he didn't fulfill the call God had for him in his first year. It took a full 40 years of ministry for Jeremiah before he fulfilled the call that God had on his life. That's another thing I would say to young people who have a passion they, they want a calling to serve God in their life, I'd say go for it, be energetic, give it all your heart, be passionate about it, but along with your passion, take some patience. Don't expect that you're going to fulfill the call that God has given to you, at least in any kind of fullness, in your first year, in your first five years, in your first ten years. Give it some time for God to do his work. And Jeremiah, you could say that there were three distinct phases of his ministry. The first period of Jeremiah's ministry took place under the protection of the godly king, Josiah. And that was an amazing time when he had a lot of protection and public support. He preached for some 23 years, even though many people didn't seem to listen and threatened his life. Still, he had official protection. But then after King Josiah died, things got worse. Jeremiah read a scroll of his collected prophecies to the new king, Jehoiakim. And what did the king do? He took the scroll, he cut it in pieces, and he threw it in the fire. In that general period, Jeremiah was chained and whipped. And he survived a very close brush with death. There was a period of persecution. And then, in the third period, it was under another king, Zedekiah, Zedekiah was put on the throne by the Babylonians, but he didn't continue to obey them. And God used Jeremiah to bring a message under Zedekiah that must have seemed crazy. It must have seemed like madness to his generation. And what was the message? Jeremiah basically said this, the conquering from the Babylonians is inevitable. Just get used to it. Just surrender to it. God's judgment is not going to turn back. Just surrender to it. And it seemed like madness for his generation for him to do that. But that was God's message. He told them to prepare for the 70-year exile and to have a peaceable attitude towards the Babylonians. He was regarded as a traitor and he was imprisoned. So you have these three distinct periods in his ministry under the three different kings. Verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And he said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you've seen well, for I'm ready to perform my word. See, well, what's the big deal with an almond tree? Well, first of all, can I just say it was simple? The village where Jeremiah grew up, they grow almonds there to this day. He had seen a lot of almond trees. That's an almond tree. That's an almond branch. Yeah, I see it before me. God gave him something very simple to begin with. You're not talking about flaming seraphim or wheels within wheels. Something very simple. But notice this. The almond tree is known as one of the trees that buds first in the spring. You see, it's just very simple. It's God is ready to do something just like the almond tree signals that spring is ready to happen. Here's the second one, verse 13. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot, and it's facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north calamities shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. They shall come and each one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem and against all its walls around and against all the cities of Judah. I will utter my judgments against them concerning their wickedness because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods and worshipped the work of their own hands. What does he see next? He sees like a pot or a cauldron and its opening is towards the south. It's coming from the north towards the south. And it's as if this judgment is being poured out upon the land from the north to the south. And what God is saying, when judgment comes upon Judah, it's going to come from the north. It's going to come from the Babylonians. It will come. Because Jerusalem and Judah have forsaken me and gone after idols. Now I just want you to hold that point. I could develop it, but I won't. Because the next few chapters that we get into next week, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to go into it in great detail and describe why Israel deserved this judgment. Let's take a look and conclude with the last few verses of this chapter. Verse 17. Therefore, Prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. Jeremiah, you saw properly in these two visions. You passed your prophet's test and you got your learner's permit. Go out now. And I can use you to do a work. Go out. But notice what he says. He says, speak to them all that I have commanded you. And do not be dismayed before their faces. Lest I dismay you before them. Friends, there's something about it. Speaking the word of the Lord. To faces that don't want to receive it. Now, I thank the Lord that I so rarely have that in this congregation here in Santa Barbara. It is so rare that I see a face that dismays me while I'm preaching. I may see a face from time to time that says, Lord, bless their sleep as you give them rest. (laughs) But rarely do I see a face that dismays me. But friends, I've seen it. I've seen it in my years of ministry. I've seen people that when you see the look on their face, when you're trying to bring them the word of God, it's like, whoa, maybe I should just shut up. And at that moment, God says, no, don't you dare. They need to hear it. They need to hear what God says to them. And that was God's word to Jeremiah. And I look at it here, verse 18. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. Welcome to the ministry, Jeremiah. Look at that phrase in verse 19. They will fight against you. And then the next phrase, they shall not prevail against you. You know, every once in a while when we recognize the call of God upon somebody's life and we bring them up on the platform and lay hands on them and ordain them. I don't know if I've ever ordained somebody with those words. Lay hands on them and say, they will fight against you. But friends, maybe I should. You know, the ministry isn't a playground. It's a battleground. And you've got to go in there willing to take on the fight. But with utter, complete confidence in the Lord who says, they shall not prevail against you. Well, friends, this was Jeremiah's call to ministry. And this is, I think, God speaking to us about whatever he has called us to fulfill in our life. I believe that God has a call, a purpose, a direction for every soul listening to this. I pray that he gives you the courage and the insight to follow the calling he's put upon your life just as much as he's put upon my life or anybody else before the Lord. Father, this is our prayer. We believe it, Lord, that you have your plan and your purpose. Lord, you didn't just know Jeremiah before he was ever conceived in the womb. But I believe, Lord, that every person that I'm speaking to, everybody who will hear this at some later time, Lord, you knew them. They were in your heart. They were in your mind. They were in your plan before they ever existed physically In the womb or upon this earth. But Lord. We need your help. To fulfill the call that you have placed upon us. So I pray first of all Lord for those who need help in discerning your call. Please help them Lord. And then I pray Lord for those who need help in fulfilling your call. This is all of us Lord. Strengthen us God. And thank you, Lord. Thank you for men that you've raised up. For women you've raised up throughout the centuries like Jeremiah. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dave Newton.
1: Is this on? Good.
0: I'm so happy Dave Newton is up here today bring the questions that people have texted in?
1: Actually, I'm not really supposed to be here. I just uh, locked the other guy in a closet and just decided to come up. Uh, Lots of questions about the idea of calling on two different fronts. One, let's start with the first one. How do you know calling? I mean, does God speak to you through a dream? Does he speak to you audibly? Does he speak to you through the word of God? Does somebody else go to coffee with you and they're discipling you, and they, they speak the word to you. So how do you know you're call? You know,
0: it could be all of those things, but there's a few distinctive markers that I think are true of calling. One is that you have an inclination towards it. Now, even if it's a hesitant inclination, you have an inclination towards doing something. Secondly, there's a sense that you have... Even if it's tested or doubted sometime that God wants you to do it, you have a sense of God's desire in it. So there's a desire on your part, at least partially. There's a desire on God's part, even if you're not always confident of it. But there's something else. There is some sort of demonstrated fruit in what you do. Let me put it to you this way I've known people who thought they had the gift of teaching, but nobody seemed to have the gift of listening to them. <laughs> And, and I believe that if you got the gift of teaching, that at least somebody's going to have the gift of listening to you. And, and that's another way to measure the call. Um, here's one other thing that I would say. Sometimes it's easier to tell what you're not called in. And if a person face constant misery and frustration in the way that they're serving God... I would look to see if they're called. I wouldn't absolutely say, I know they're not called to it, but I would strongly suspect it and look into that.
1: And I assume your answer on this uh, issue of not being too young for the call. Yes. We had a couple of people sent in text asking, so can you ever be too old for God's call? You know what,
0: that's a great question. No, I don't believe so. Okay. Look at some of the great people that God used in their advanced age. Simeon, Anna, in the uh, early days of Jesus's uh infancy moses goes on and on no you, you can't be too old either
1: and is the call of god simply reserved for pastor teacher elder in this case a prophet who's going to speak to the to the nation uh, is there a calling for um, a homemaker calling for a plumber calling for a school teacher calling for uh, a regular layperson? person
0: absolutely Absolutely. Although I will say that there is a sense in which there is a dynamic about a call that is directly related towards the edification of God's people and evangelism that has its own dynamic. I don't want to deny that. But it needs to be said and understood loud and clear that when the person who's a businessman or a teacher or an employee or a homemaker, and I could just you know, keep making the list, but you get the idea, when they fulfill that with all their heart and with all their soul, honoring God, they are advancing God's kingdom. They are. The honest businessman who serves God and the people in what he does in his business, he is advancing God's kingdom by what he does. And should be honored as such. Friends, don't you think that when we get to heaven, there's going to be a lot of people who are surprised at rewards there's going to be Mr. Fancy Pants Pastor Man who walks in there and say, Lord, didn't you see how I preached to thousands? Why, why does the guy who had the taco cart have a bigger crown than I do? Say, listen, he blessed way more people through that taco cart and did it for I've my kingdom than you ever did, Mr. Fancy Pastor Man. <laughs> so the thing is this, is to be mindful of where God has places and do it with all of our heart. Now, again, I do want to say, there is a special dynamic to those who have a calling directly related to the edification of God's people and to evangelizing the world. But that's sort of a, of a different idea. Okay.
1: How about the idea that somebody can be called, let's say in a general sense, I feel really called to teach the word or to share God's love or to disciple or to uh, maybe teach you know, in some other capacity. But over time, it manifests itself in different ways. Is that is that uh, still the call?
0: Absolutely. Now, my life is sort of an interesting example of that. Um, I really believe that God has called me to be a pastor. Yet, there is a sense in which for seven and a half years, I pushed hold on being a pastor over a church, and I was the director of a Bible college in Germany. Now, you know what? I was still using my pastoral gifts and calling in doing that work. Very much so. But it was just sort of a different arena. A different way of doing it. And so I believe that God gives people certain gifts. But many times there are different and creative and out of the box ways. That God gives to them to exercise those gifts. That we should really applaud and encourage. Um, it, it shouldn't all be done in the same sort of cookie cutter fashion. And, and God can have the same gift Exercised in different ways throughout a different uh, person's life.
1: So, uh, what are your thoughts about the idea? Are there prophets today?
0: Um, There are prophets in a sense, not in an authoritative sense over God's people.
1: So, you're comfortable? Ladies and gentlemen,
0: I do not believe that there's any prophets that speak with authority over God's people today.
1: So do you base that on the idea that God's word is full, complete, the canon of scripture is here, this, everything we need is there? This
0: is the authority. Now, can God use a prophet in the modern day to give comfort and blessing and edification? Yes, the New Testament says so, and I've seen it practiced in my own life. But God's authoritative speaking of his word, this ended with the Old Testament and the New Testament being completed. Um, if a man were to walk in to my office or to this congregation and say, I'm a prophet of the Lord, God tells you that you should do this and this. I, I say, friends, let's sit down and open up the Bible. Why don't you instruct me from the Bible? I, I, I may recognize that God may give you a spontaneous word, a blessing or comfort or edification for people. The New Testament says so. But the authoritative speaking over the body of Christ, ladies and gentlemen, that's reserved for the apostles and the prophets um, associated with the revelation of God's word.
1: Okay. Uh, Switch gears just a little bit. Jeremiah 1.5, knowing in the womb. Um, Lots of different questions about that, and certainly there are uh, different interpretations. One would be the issue of, is this then predestination? And then the second issue is then, uh, there are some faiths out there that uh, have, you know, come up with the idea that we were all in spirit, in heaven with the Lord before we were born. And that's what this is speaking to.
0: Yeah, you know what? I I would say on either point, it doesn't speak to those. First of all, because there's nothing in here to say that God predestined. It said he foreknew Mm -hmm. um, Jeremiah. And it also says that he called him. But it doesn't say that he directed him to do it. Uh, you, you'll have to look in. I, now, I believe that the Bible teaches predestination in its context, but not in this particular passage. But it certainly shows the plan of God ahead of time. The other thing, though, regarding the preexistence, God makes it very plain that He knew Him before He existed. That's the whole point of it. Right. So He didn't exist in spirit or in any other way before this. He only existed in the knowledge of God, knowing. That he would come. So
1: God already knew you'd be born on a certain day, yes. you'd be conceived on a certain day. Yes. That's how he knew. That's right. Okay. That's right. Um, how about in Jeremiah 1.9, the idea that the, the use of the statement of uh, his hand, uh, you know, we have the statement uh, that John in his uh, uh, New Testament writing says, well, God is spirit and those who want to worship him have to do so in spirit and truth. And yet we hear these things about God's hand. Uh, lots of questions always come back. Uh, so is God body? Because we hear all these things like, uh, you know, his hand and his eyes and he can see and so forth. And yet there's this idea that he's spirit. What are your thoughts? Well, I I
0: can speak for verse 9. That's pretty clearly what we call an anthropomorphism. It's expressing the action of God in human terms. There was not a physical hand that touched Jeremiah when he says, then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. I don't believe so. I believe that God did something to his mouth, and Jeremiah knew that it was the act of God, and so it was very fair to describe it as the hand of God touching his mouth. But just as much as when Isaiah, you see the similarity here? Did you catch the similarity? Some of you thought of this. Between when Isaiah was called into his ministry and the Lord touched his lips with a burning coal, friends, all of that happened in a vision that Isaiah had. It didn't happen to his physical body, it happened in a vision. And in the same way, he's describing here in human terms what God did in his life spiritually.
1: So is it possible that John could have been writing metaphorically that God is spirit?
0: Well, I believe that when he says God is spirit, he's describing God the Father. God the Son added humanity to his deity. And so we know that God the Son has a physical body. He remains a man in heaven. But you would say of God the Father and of God the Holy Spirit, God is spirit.
1: And a last one. Um, could you please review the four main theories put forth by many theologians that Jeremiah did not write the book of Jeremiah and then provide a thorough rebuttal to each of those?
0: You know, of course. But as I look at the clock, time is running out.
1: You know, I notice, yeah, we're at 825, so yeah, we won't be able to get yeah, to that. That's right.
0: We won't be able to get to that okay. right now. Uh, but look. How about this? How about this for a rebuttal? The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah. Now, it's a little more complicated to that. And actually, it's a fair question. Because the book of Jeremiah is, like many of the writings of the prophets, it's not what we would call technically a book in our own Western understanding. It's a collection of prophetic writings. And there are scholars who claim for different reasons that the aspects of that collection did not all come from Jeremiah. I think that there's compelling reason to believe that they did and we'll make that case as we go through the bit of Jeremiah. So without being able to answer the question, I'll say we'll get to it as we make our way. And that's
1: a great answer.
0: Punt. When in doubt, punt. No, no, that's not a punt. That's That's a. We
1: will get to it. You're on the hook for the next 45 chapters and so forth. Okay, good. Absolutely. Okay, Okay, great. Thanks so much. Uh, Come on up. Why don't you pray, Dave? Sure, I'll pray for us.